Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run. You know that already. And this is Season 9 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. We're excited because this is our longest-running series out of 47 game-changing series. This is the one that's been on the air longest, and we're thrilled. So here's let's see what the buzz is today. This is a topic that will impact our global audience on a business level, professional level, and a personal level. So here we go. I have a quote from CA Technologies Report in 2018, and the quote is, consumers with a high level of digital trust spend more. Now, you all know you're consumers of something, and digital is part of your lives. And if you're in business, which most of our listeners are, you know this impacts your company. So let me give you a little more background before I introduce my experts. So as consumers, producers, and employees, we're all sharing and using massive amounts of sensitive and private information. Come on, you all know. You're all grown-ups, I assume. You know every time you do something online, it's possible somebody or the wrong person is seeing it. 2020 is seeing the rise of increasingly stringent personally identifying data protection laws in the United States, in Latin America, in Europe, and in other countries. And that's a good thing. As everything becomes more connected through information, the ability to establish and maintain what we're going to call digital trust, that's our topic today, regarding data protection and privacy, is becoming a key competitive differentiator among businesses, commercial organizations. While digital trust requires persistence and hard work to build it, guess what? Bing, ping, poof! It can be lost in a single data breach. You've read about it. I hope none of you in our listening audience have been the victims of data breaches. How trustworthy is your company? What are you doing to protect the information customers, prospects, vendors, partners, ecosystem partners give you? Well, we're going to talk to three experts today and see what they have to say. I'm going to tell you who they are, and then I will ask each of my special panelists to introduce themselves. First up in a moment, we'll be here from Heather Fetterman at Big ID, that's capital B, lowercase I-G, capital I, capital D, all one word. Joining her on the panel is John Livingood at Protivity. He's one of many people we've had at his company on the air for over the past couple of years. And rounding out the panel is Chris Redkowski at SAP. Welcome, panelists. Heather Fetterman, you're up first. Please tell us what you do and just a little bit about why this topic is important to you. Go ahead, Heather. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie, and thank you for having me. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Heather. Can you hear me? Uh, yep. Hi, my name is Heather Fetterman. Um, I'm the Vice President of Privacy and Policy at Big ID. I manage and lead our initiatives related to privacy evangelism, product innovation, also internal compliance and industry collaboration. Um, prior to Big ID, I was the Deputy CPO at Macy's. Before that, I was at American Express, focused on their global privacy program. And I am a lawyer by trade, and I started my career as a legal and policy fellow at the Future of Privacy Forum. So my entire career has been devoted to privacy. I'm really passionate about this topic, and I'm really excited to nerd out with you today, Bonnie. 
Thank you, Heather. Your background is extremely impressive on so many levels. Heather, all the big companies you work for and, and your, your law degree in practicing. Question for you. Quick question. Is it getting better mm-hmm. or is it getting worse, Heather? We know that the quote-unquote bad actors, and I use that term in a generic way, the bad actors are getting smarter. They're getting sharper. They're embracing the technology that companies are trying to use to stop them, and they're gaming that technology. So is it getting better or is it getting worse, Heather? I think it's just getting different is the way I would describe it. You know, you're always going to have, you're always going to have bad actors. There's always going to be folks, unfortunately, who don't have the right intention in place. I saw an article recently about a company that was just really, there was a lack of transparency in their shady data practices. So you are going to unfortunately have that. But what we are seeing is that some of the the bigger, more well-known companies, they are trying to do the right thing. They are, even if they're failing while doing it, they are trying to put themselves out there as key players in privacy, some of them even using it as uh, their marketing tools to say, hey, we care about your privacy. So you are seeing that shift as well, as well as regulators were really caring about this topic. And you have consumers who they may not always know what to do because sometimes when it comes to your privacy, it can feel a bit helpless as to how do you protect yourself. Mm -hmm. But everyone at this moment. So that means that it's not necessarily better because there's more and more data. And like you said, more and more technologies, but it's just, we're all kind of trying to figure it out right now. And that's where I see that's, that's the shift is that we're not ignoring this. We're not putting our heads under the rug. We're just trying to figure out what, what are the best solutions. Thank you, Heather. Great insights. And I will say that as you're speaking, I'm looking at the word digital trust, the term digital trust in my notes, and I'm thinking the five letters that really matter here are trust, T-R-U-S-D, do you trust companies Mm -hmm. digitally and otherwise? It's a bigger question. It happens to be focused on digital now because that's where we all are. Thank you, Heather. Very happy to have you on the panel. I know we're going to get a lot more insights from you. Appreciate that. Let's move one seat around the table to John Livinggood at ProTivity. John, welcome, and please tell us what you do, who you are, and just briefly, what does this topic mean to you? Hey, thanks a lot, Bonnie. Thanks thanks again for having us mm-hmm. on the show again. Really appreciate it. And so just a quick introduction on myself. Uh, my name is John Livingood. I'm a managing director in Productivity San Francisco office, and uh, I'm a, a managing director in our SAP ecosystem practice. And so with that what that really means is I have the pleasure of working with uh, a number of uh, senior executives and management locally here in San Francisco, which is where I'm from, and, and across the world, and with their enterprise applications, mainly in the areas of solution strategy and selection, implementation services, and security and regulatory compliance. And the latter part is is one of the areas that I'm most passionate about. Um, and uh, uh, with that, uh, on top of, of my responsibilities, I, I also lead Protivity's SAP security and GRC transformation practice. And uh, personally, I have been in many, many uh, ERP implementations, primarily focused on S4 HANA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also have uh, started my career and, and grew up throughout my career implementing uh, many of SAP's GRC solutions, and even before the acquisition uh, t- took place many years ago, I, you know, I, was, I was I was working with 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 those solution areas as well. And and so this topic, uh, as it relates to data protection, is has been uh, very important to me in, in our organization as we reach out to our clients 
and uh, and help them with solving the issue of data protection, especially as as additional regulations uh, come out in the marketplace. So it's just an interesting time. So thanks again for having us. It is. Thank you, John. Question for you. I asked the same to Heather a moment ago. Do you think it's getting better or is it getting worse from your, your vantage point as a professional working with a company that's in the on the front lines, if you will? What do you see, good or bad? I I I I I fully agree with the with the prior answer and with mm-hmm. Heather with her response and I, I I do think to add on to the to the comment is uh, for me uh, I, you know as 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 the as the especially the younger generations um, uh, progress and 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 and. and and get older, um, and for me, even personally, it's it's more in in it's not just the trust aspect, but it's also in in recognizing the value proposition of of what uh, you know uh, granting your data brings to the table. Right? We can mm-hmm. talk more about that, but 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 I I, I do think it's. It is a it's a quite fine balance of having the right data protection measures, and on the flip side, realizing with the value proposition of as a consumer what you're getting as a result of that. And so it's 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 again it's it's an interesting time, and and I do think that um, just like with any other change enablement process, that uh, it is a process, and. Uh, I do see us leading in the right direction in regards to having the right balance of data protection and also uh, you know, reaping the benefits of the value proposition. So, Thank you. That's an interesting perspective. Thank you, John. Hadn't thought of it that way. Appreciate that. Chris Redkowski, I think he's being so patient. Chris, we're coming around the table to you. Please introduce yourself, and you can automatically answer that question, is it getting better or worse? Go ahead, Chris, and welcome. Oh. Great. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Uh, my name is Chris Radkowski. I'm a director at SAP. I'm responsible uh, for, well, two solution portfolios within the governance risk and compliance area. And uh, so I focus on identity management and access control solutions. And uh, I'm also responsible uh, for privacy, what we call uh, privacy compliance solutions that uh, are highly relevant to what we're talking about today. Uh, before SAP, I was... Uh, I was at three different startups, and um, one interesting story is so one of those startups was uh, was was acquired by Oracle. And uh, before before the uh, acquisition, I I was recruited by Oracle. I, I left the company and uh, and joined Oracle, and then uh, got to uh, participate in acquiring my old company. <laughs> <laughs> <Very good. laughs> and Chris, and around and around and around it goes, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is it getting better or worse? I, you know, when you kind of look, take a step back uh, from this, uh, this whole, this whole uh, um, challenge, I think that the, the fundamental driver uh, around the value of data, it's just um, there's an economic factor that, uh, that creates this demand that companies um, need more and more data in order mm-hmm. to well be competitive and deliver yep. the uh, deliver the services that they think uh, their customers want. Well, well, at the same time, uh, the more data that you amass, uh, the, the the more easily it can be manipulated to either persuade people. You said you didn't want to talk about politics, but um, 
the major platforms um, are, I think, um, shockingly, uh, you know, their major attempts to try to, you know, misuse that data or get data, uh, illegal access to that data um, um, and so forth. So I think we're dealing with, um, you know, all organizations need more data in order to run, you know, in order to uh, achieve a digital transformation like we always talk about. Um, but there's a there's a plus side and a downside that I think we all have to uh, be aware of. So, no, I, I don't think it's getting better. I think there's an economic uh, force behind trying to create and um, use that data for a variety of good mm-hmm. and bad purposes. So, I think it's uh, I think it's a problem we're kind of stuck with. Interesting. Very interesting three perspectives. Thank you all for answering my question. And now to my listeners, this is the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to pick a quote from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, not so famous, almost famous. And then I'm going to read the background, the source, the attribution, if you will, of their quote and ask them to tell me how the quote, in their own words, relates to our topic today. And if you're just tuning in, this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Season 9, Episode 2, in case you're keeping count. I have to, because I'm the producer and host. And the topic is the demands of digital trust, data protection and privacy in 2020, and I will add dot, 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 and beyond. Heather Fetterman is with us, and Heather has sent me a quote from George Bernard Shaw. In case you're too young to even have ever heard the name, George Bernard Shaw, 1856 to 1950, known as at his insistence simply as Bernard Shaw. I don't know if you knew that, Heather. He just didn't like George. Was an Irish playwright, critic, polemicist, and political activist. His influence on Western culture, theater, and politics extended from the 1880s to his death and beyond. He wrote more than 60 plays, busy guy, 6-0, plays, including Pygmalion, which we know is My Fair Lady, St. Joan, Man and Superman, back in the early 1900s, and he became the leading dramatist of his generation, and he got the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1925. People took notice. Here's the quote Heather has selected from Bernard Shaw. The people who get in, get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. Powerful quote. Heather, how does this relate to our topic, please? Great quote. Well, and and thanks, Bonnie. I actually did not know about the George part, so I will stop (laughs) uh, calling him George Bernard Shaw, just Bernard (laughs) Shaw going forward. (laughs) He thanks Um, you in absentia. Go ahead. (laughs) ahead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, In terms of how it relates for today, Piggybacking off of what Chris was talking about in his intro, that, you know, this is a problem that we're dealing with in terms of massive amounts of data collection, manipulation of that data, and it really can affect our lives in small and big ways. Well, if we want to make a difference, if we want to use this data for good, if we want to empower ourselves to control our digital identities, well, we have to get up and we have to find those circumstances. We have to actually make this happen. The recent um, CCPA is an example of that. You saw Alistair McTaggart, who he wasn't even in the privacy world, but he heard about what was happening, and he made this law happen. And while it's not a perfect law, it has been a game-changing law in America. So he couldn't find the circumstances he wants, and he made them happen. And that's what we have to do with this current problem that we're facing today. 
Thank you very much. I love to have quotes from Bernard Shaw. And you know, Heather, we still are going to go on calling him George Bernard Shaw because that's what we have in front of us. So, but uh, kudos to you and kudos to Bernard Shaw. Uh, Just 60 plays. Can you even imagine that somebody writing that much and getting them published and out into the world? Very interesting. Thank you for that quote and for relating it to our topic. Heather, let's move on to John Livingood of Protivity. And John has selected a quote from Warren Buffett, who is still very much with us. He was born in 1930. Oh my goodness. Warren Edward Buffett, American business magnet, investor and philanthropist, the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, considered one of the most successful investors in the world. As of December 2019, his net worth was a mere $88.9 billion, with a B, and he is the fourth wealthiest person in the world, although that balance seems to shift every couple of days. I don't know. Here's the quote John has selected from Warren Buffett. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. I want to say, John, I want to say amen to that. John, how'd you pick this quote and how does it relate to our topic? Love the quote, by the way. Bonnie, I mean, the quote really says it says it all, right? I mean, it's, yep, it, it really does. And it, and 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 building trust is no different uh, with our customers than it is with with our family and our friends and our personal lives. And you know, you break trust, and, and results can just be catastrophic. Period. Right. And so, as 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 we look, and, and we actually did a, a C level executive survey. It consisted of of hundreds of companies and. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, if you look at the top risks that these executives care about, um, you know, cybersecurity, data breaches, those are all at the top of the list, right? And so it's 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 very well recognized um, uh, across executive management of the enterprise risk associated with maintaining a good reputation in the marketplace. That's just goes without saying. And so I think if you, you know, if you look at the quotes uh, from Warren Buffett, it, it really just articulates the golden rule that, that you know, uh, all of us as organizations uh, try to abide by and, and just rearticulates the, the need to have, um, you know, the proper, in this case, data protection measures in place to ensure you don't break that trust with your customers. So it's, it's a very powerful quote. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, nice to hear Warren Buffett quotes from time to time. We do appreciate it. Brilliant man, obviously. Let's move around the table to Chris Radkowski at SAP. Chris has sent us a quote that is often misquoted, but it's a great quote from the 1989 fantasy drama sports film, Field of Dreams. It was an adaptation of W.P. Kinsella's novel, Shoeless Joe. Chris, I'm just going to read a little background in case somebody doesn't know the film. When Iowa farmer Ray played by Kevin Costner, hears a mysterious voice one night in his cornfield saying, if you build it, he will come, and, the, and it was he. Ray feels the need to act. Despite taunts of lunacy, he builds a baseball diamond on his land, supported by his wife, Annie, played by Amy, Amy Madigan. Afterward, the ghosts of great baseball players start emerging from the crops to play ball, led by Shoeless Joe Jackson. But as Ray learns, the Field of Dreams is about much more than bringing former baseball greats out to play. The movie was selected by the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant in 2017. It's about time. So the implication of if you build it, he will come was that Shoeless Joe 
which was the name of the original novel, will come. But it's popularly known as If You Build It, They Will Come. Chris, that's my introduction to the quote. Tell us how you picked it. Oh, great, Bonnie. I hope I haven't gotten it wrong. Um, no, nope, it's fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, the story is about a, this magical uh, cornfield or baseball uh, diamond, and, and the theme there is, you know, if you build this magical product, then uh, you'll satisfy your customer challenges, and well, they will come and buy it. So they, you know, I mean, <clears throat> privacy compliance is a very complicated topic, and it has a broad set of of different disciplines, not all of them are, are you know, technology. Some are process. Um, however, some are technology. And so the idea there is that, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly what the what the optimal solution is for our customers, you know, in this to address uh, a set of these very challenging solutions. And it's it's not always clear. And part of the reason, you know, we're, we're here today is because of, uh, you know, uh, you know, our our trying to tell the future, our, our future telling, uh, uh, what kind of solutions and products our customers are going to need to, uh, to, to solve this problem. And, um, and, and so here we are. And, and it's a lot of convincing internally on what, what to invest in and what, what to buy, what's going to provide the most value. And so that quote really applies, you know, directly to, to what we're doing uh, on our products team here. Thank you very much, all. Appreciate the quote research and appreciate the articulation of how they relate to our topic. I love that part of the show because we get to hear how you all think and how you all talk and and what's on your mind. Now we're going to do a little bit of an icebreaker, even though we've already been on the air for about 22 minutes. And I'm going to ask the three of you, and I don't know if I told you this on your prep call, but I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that makes you happy or makes you feel energized or, or makes you feel sleepy or whatever it is? So anything and everything goes. You can mention brand names. And Heather Fetterman at Big ID, I'm going to ask you, what do you love to drink that, that just powers you? Coffee, tea, water, juice, soda, milk, beer, wine, curd, espresso, vitamin, champagne, a green drink, you're brewing something in the bathtub, you're making Kahlua in the sink in the garage, whatever it is. Heather, what's your favorite drink these days? So these days, I've been really into iced decaf lattes, and I specifically, my, my favorite version of it is um, from this little restaurant. There's a couple of them in New York City called The Grey Dog. And it's a full-service restaurant, breakfast, lunch, dinner, really casual. But I don't know what's in that combination of the milk <laughs> and the coffee, but it's just, it makes me feel really good. And when it's, and even in the middle of winter, when it's freezing outside, there's something about the, the coolness of it that just, it makes me feel very, very relaxed and energized at the same time. So yeah, this you... is not a, this is not an endorsement. No, that's fine. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, so they didn't tell me to talk about it, but I am kind of obsessed with it at this moment. Well, that's lovely. Do you go to the one on Chelsea in Chelsea on 16th Street or the one on Mulberry Street downtown? Or Union Square? I go to the one on Car- on Carmine Street. Okay, I'm looking at the ones that are pulling up here on, uh, let's see, I see all kinds of, yes, Carmine Street, 49 Carmine Street, American Restaurant, Gray mm-hmm. Dog, all-day cafe and coffee shop that our neighbors and friends have been calling home since 1996. We serve simple and delicious new American classics with something for everyone. Great coffee, exceptional wines and beers. We're just saying a shout-out to the Gray Dog, and it's G-R-E-Y. Heather, thank you. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm a New Yorker, born and bred, but I moved to Durham, North Carolina about two and a half years ago. I was on Long Island in Great Neck for the last 32 years, so you have an idea of where I was geographically situated. I, I don't remember seeing the Gray Dog, but if I go back, I'm going to check it out on your recommendation. Thank you, Heather. John Living Good, you've had a chance to think about it. What's your favorite drink these days? 
Well, I, you would you never guess by my last name, but, but I'm actually a half Colombian, and uh, and so I, I don't think this will come as a surprise. But but I'm gonna say a, a nice French press brewed cup of, and I'll say it in the Spanish name, Finca Loma Verde, fresh coffee beans from, Ooh. in my opinion, the best coffee farm in the world, which also happens to be my my cousin's uh, husband's own uh, Ergamino, <laughs> and. Uh, the only data I was thinking about this, buddy. The only data that he cares about is whether his customers love his coffee. That's it. So, <laughs> I, I love it, John. That, that was great the way you put that. Really great. Do you take it full strength? I call that. You know, in in New York, well, I remember when I was growing up, if you, you didn't have self service gas stations, you would say to the the attendant would come out and say, "What do you want in your your tank?" And you would say, "High test." So I I equate full strength strong coffee to high test. Never mind. Back back in the day, John, do you drink it straight or do you put anything in it? Well, I I I I, 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 I my my cousin. Is feels very strongly that any type of sugar, any addition, is not the right way to go. You have to you have to taste the coffee. So uh, I, I I I like to do both actually, but 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 straight is in in for his coffee. I drink straight. Thank you. I would too. Thank you very much, Chris Radkowski. What's in your cup these days, or your glass, or your Stein, oh, or your geez. flute, or I'm- whatever? Go ahead. Well, I'm I'm also a coffee person, and it's a big thing my wife and I try to do almost every day is we go grab a cup of coffee in the morning. And we go to various places, uh, and I've been experimenting with different kinds of milk. I'm on the oat milk thing right now, although Ooh. we're both trying to do this keto diet. So so now we're putting in um, layered superfood creamer. So, um, you know, it's got a coconut kind of flavor to it, and mm-hmm. it's it probably masks the taste of the coffee. Sorry, John. <laughs> um, but uh, but my drink of choice is uh, is coffee now with layered superfood creamer. What is superfood <laughs> creamer? I've never heard of that. Superfood creamer. It's got. I, I got mean, it. Very low sugar, low carbs. So um, you know, it's it's pretty healthy, and it's got a a nice mouth feel to it because it's got some coconut stuff in it, but. Um, I'm looking at it. That's, they have a tum- turmeric version. Chris, they have a turmeric version, a vanilla version, an unsweetened version, a cocoa version, a cacao version, a chocolate mint version. I'm looking. It's for, all from Laird, L-A-I-R-D Superfood. Looks like that's the, the maker of this, LairdSuperfood.com. Fascinating. I did not know that. Uh, Chris, I interviewed on my, my personal radio show, Read My Lips Radio, on a different station. I interviewed a young woman who embraces keto, and she has converted Asian, favorite Asian recipes into keto. And it's it's fascinating what she does. And I actually bought a packet of, of uh, Miracle Noodles, they're called, fettuccine. They're kind of strange, but I'm trying to get used to the taste of, non, yes, non-gluten noodles that sort of slime around on your plate. But it's very interesting. Thank you, all the three of you. I'm drinking water because they don't allow me to go anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And John and Chris and Heather, I think you already know why. So we're going to take a quick break. It's 1030, but we're going to take a 90-second break. If you're just tuning in, 
Stick around. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. I have three wonderful panelists, Heather Fetterman at Big ID, John Livinggood at ProTivity, and Chris Radkowski at SAP. We're talking about a very, very important topic, the demands of digital trust, data protection and privacy in 2020 and beyond. And a quick shout out to the sponsor of this series, Chris Grundy at SAP. We're so happy you're back for the ninth season, Chris, and appreciate all of the effort you and your team and your colleagues put into creating these wonderful topics and inviting really superb panelists like Heather, John, and Chris. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. I used to say don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, but as I hear a, my favorite host on NPR say, one word, stay. <laughs> Aaron out. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at voiceamerica.com. You're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. That's what we're talking about. Digital trust, data privacy, protection. What are companies doing about it to our listeners around the world? What are you doing about it? Three panelists helping us figure this out, this landscape. Heather Fetterman, Big ID, John Livinggood at ProTivity, and Chris Redkowski at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie. Here we go. Time for the roundtable formal roundtable. Heather Fetterman told me the following in her notes before the show. She says, privacy is a complex topic to navigate given the changing regulatory landscape as well as customer and stakeholder demands. That's, as they say in the news shows these days, Heather, let's unpack this. A lot of information. Spend about two and a half minutes or so, and then I'm going to bring John and Chris in to add their comments to what you're saying. Heather, go ahead. So we we first started really with GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, that was a a big game changer in terms of data protection, um, a legal regime that companies had to comply with. But we didn't stop there. We then saw that we had the Brazilian data protection law. We had the CCPA come out. And then there are a number of other states of countries that are coming up with their own data protection regimes, whether it's based off of a specific topic like biometrics or it's a more comprehensive law. There are many different 
issues with compliance regulations that companies have to contend with. So if you're going to just focus on one regulation, it's not going to work out in the long run. What companies really need to start considering is how can you create a framework in which it's flexible enough to take on any additional regulations that may come through. One thing that I like to tie it back to are the OECD's privacy principles. They were created in 1980, I believe, and they set out eight different privacy principles. And various regulations, they touch upon those principles, but if an organization can go back to those eight fundamental principles, then they typically will have, they'll be okay when it comes to defending themselves and creating a, a really good defensible privacy posture. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's go around the table to John Livinggood. John, agree, disagree, or add something to what Heather said, please. Yeah, when you when you look at the the end to end picture, it's, we're having many discussions with, with our clients, and I'll just bring up uh, you know when you look at the uh, as as one example is uh, it, a lot of the discussions that, that we're having is you know how, how do you handle uh, data confidentiality in a non production environment and you know it's just one example of, of many different types of discussions but when we when we have those discussions it's it's, it's really looking at the end-to-end process as well and and as Heather mentioned the really first step there is is determining what are the data privacy regulations that you're impacted by right and setting that as the context and and and, and, and then when you understand those regulations, then uh, you, you know you, you need to be able to determine what is the data that impacts those regulations that will allow you to be compliant with those, and uh, and from there you can map where that data exists. And there's you know, obviously tools to do that um, within your within your business landscape. And once you determine where, where the where the data is in your environment you're in a position to control that data. And so what we're talking about with our customers and helping them do is, you know, once the data is mapped in the landscape, you know, you have options such as uh, data masking at the, at, the, at the data layer, be it SAP HANA dynamic uh, data masking or the UI masking and logging and uh, enabling the workflow approvals uh, based off of that uh, to, you know, demonstrate only the data that users need access to see and so just, you know, a couple of examples of being able to control the data once you've mapped it within your landscape. But really the first step, again, going back to, to Heather's point, is, is really determining what are the regulations that you're impacted, map the data that's impacted by those regulations, control that data, right, and enable the governance processes to be able to request access and maintain the proper access controls to that data itself on a continuous basis. Those are the discussions that, that we're having uh, related to the regulations for data confidentiality. Thank That's you, John. Example. Great points. Appreciate that. Chris Redkowski, join us, please. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, like, like Heather said, you know, uh, these, these requirements are broad-ranging. And so I think what most organizations are kind, of, are kind of doing is they're looking around to see which ones are relevant. You know, California CCPA, for example, has has some revenue, you know, requirements. If you're below a certain revenue, they may not be applicable. 
So, so once you've gone through that process, you know, I think there are commonalities across the board in terms of the general, general principles. You know, like John said, uh, you know, data protection is a, is a pretty, is, is part of nearly all of the regulations. And, and processes are also, uh, are also critical. And I think there's three main areas that are, that are important, that are common between most of the uh, privacy uh, compliance regulations. One is consent. Um, you have to get consent in order to collect data. Um, and the other is, um, and you have to be able to manage that consent process, so you have to map that to the right, um, mm-hmm. the right data. And that's what you're seeing now on most many websites. You're seeing, you know, do not sell uh, uh, terminology popping up on your screen. You have to accept to continue. And then the, you know, as far as what we call privacy governance, you know, these apply to a set of processes that that require you to demonstrate, um, <clears throat> you know, certain aspects of the regulation. So you have to create an inventory of processing. You have to report you know, what processes involve personal data, or you have to be able to do a, um, you know, a risk analysis that can identify certain data that might be uh, sensitive. Um, if you have data that's on, you know, on children or something, you know, this is uh, a special category in GDPR and other regulations, mm-hmm. so you have to have special processes to protect that, sure. that, that information. And then one of, the, one of the major things that you have to do, and sometimes up front, is find out where all the data is. Where is all your personal data? And, uh, you know, and that's why, um, you know, big ID is so critical in the equation. So, you know, you answer the question, if I have a customer list on an Excel spreadsheet on my desktop, is that in scope? Uh, probably is for, uh, for, for GDPR. So, you know, I think organizations are just trying to get their hands on, you know, the scope of the regulation and uh, figuring out the best approach. Thank you very much. Great comments. Heather, you started off a good conversation there. Anything you want to add briefly, Heather, before I move on? Yeah, I'd like to add two points to that. One is to John's point was about looking at the the data protection requirements. And you mentioned data mapping, and that's actually where I would start, is really what data do you have? Because that'll really help me understand, okay, this is the data that I have. Now what are the regulations that may apply to this data, because it's what data do you have, how sensitive is that data, who does that data apply to, and where is that data stored? These are all really important questions that I'd say are the the fundamentals to start with, because then, like Chris said, that's where I can do a proper risk assessment, is really being able, once I know that data, I'm able to identify what I'm supposed to do with it, how to handle it, and how to protect it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep, important. I'm going to move on to a statement from John Livingood at ProTivity. John, this is very powerful. Uh, I'll read a little bit, but then we'll go around the table and discuss this. You say, in today's world, trust has become a commodity, and even trust in our basic institutions has deteriorated. Okay, we'll go with that. Then you say, in a recent study by Morning Consult, a digital media and research company, everybody listen up, it was found that Americans trust Amazon and Google more than they trust the police, the news media, the U.S. government, and Wall Street. Coincidentally, these are the two companies we brought into the privacy of our homes. And Amazon, I have to whisper, Alexa, because if I say it louder, she'll answer me, and Google Home. John, this is really important. So talk to me. Tell Add a little more to this, and then we'll go around the table and see what Chris and Heather say. Go ahead, John. 
Sure, sure. Thanks, Bonnie. And 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 so so my team. First off, my team knows that that I'm a big fan of smart home devices and just you know have a, a big passion for that uh, uh, in my house. So so I, I have many. I also have brought in uh, those companies, and, and actually I'm a, I have both, but but more probably more so Google uh, at this point. But but uh, big fan and. Uh, so, so, and it, and it really, so two things is, one is, is the, the, the irony is, is, is that, you know, companies like Amazon and Google and others possess the power to do far more harm than the government agencies that were designed to protect us, which is police and U.S. government, um, beneath to the eye. But, but that's putting, putting that aside, uh, you know, the, the, going back to my earlier comment, of, of uh, really, um, you know, having a balance of, of uh, yes, the data protection, but but also recognizing what the what the what the value proposition is, in in really, you know, um, looking at those two uh, uh, two sides of the equation, um, because I mean, at the at the end of the day, it's you know. At least in my own view, who who doesn't want to be targeted for needs that they actually need, right? I mean, how how, how nice would it be to uh, you know not get targeted for things that you're not interested in, and and and, and really uh, as a consumer, you know, make your life as easy as possible, right? Because that's what we're going for is the user experience, mm-hmm. right? And so there is there is value proposition. In uh, in, uh, um, in in you know what these companies can do uh, with big data, right? And that's 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 known out there. Um, uh, but 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 it's 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 interesting because because if you going back to the statement is uh, you know it, but it, but, it, but it takes just one lack of of breaking the trust. And that's what you see in the news media today with 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 uh some of those agencies that I've mentioned um but and, and and that's it right and so it just reiterates my my earlier quote of of just how important establishing and maintaining trust in this topic with your consumers, how important that is, and how much time it takes to repair that damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't take much to look at the news to 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 realize that. So, well put. <laughs> Thank you, John. Chris, jump in. What do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely a critical topic. And uh, I'm just, you know, I mean, it's a it's a double edged sword. I definitely want, you know, when the technology is available, to have the sensors implanted on my body that can alert the doctor. You know, then I'm going to have some kind of event right away or make it my life more convenient that, uh, you know, I can be monitored for health purposes so I don't have to, you know, go into the doctor and, you know, um, you know, schedule a visit and all that stuff. You know, at the same time, I want Amazon to, you know, suggest, and it seems like they're doing a great job of suggesting to me great things I'd like to buy. Um, you know, but at the same time, I, I'm, it's, it's very, very concerning when, you know, this data is sold to third parties. You start getting some spam messages, you know, on on your phone from a Chinese embassy or something, you know, telling you that you know you need to, uh, you're going to be imprisoned, you know, in Chinese in China if you if you go back home or something. So, 
um, you know, there, there's, uh, there's definitely two sides of this equation. And I think, um, in satisfying one, you open the door for uh, a whole set of ways that you can be, um, this data can be misused. There's, I think one of, um, uh, the trending, um, shows on Netflix is I just saw the other night. It's amazing. It's called the great hack mm-hmm. about the Cambridge Analytica story. I would definitely encourage anyone who's interested in privacy in general, uh, to go out and check that out. Um, you know, and the main theme of that is, can I be manipulated? And that's what mm-hmm. happens with your personal data is that yeah. it can be used in ways you wouldn't necessarily have thought of, or you wanted it to be, to, to be used against you in a way. So um, definitely out there, um, check that out. It's uh, it's a riveting, riveting program. It kind of goes through the whole the whole story around Cambridge Analytica and the people who are involved and so forth. So thank uh, you. definitely good, uh, good recommendation. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Heather, let's get you in on this conversation. Go ahead. Sure. Um, you know, just as a to level set, I actually am uh, very anti-smart home devices. I had a big argument with my family when they installed Ring cameras around the house. Um, mm. But I, I lost that argument, and now I just send them articles anytime there's an issue with Ring. <laughs> so they can keep that in mind and hopefully take them down at some point. But I do, I do agree that there, there's a balance here in terms of what the value proposition is, because these companies like Amazon and Google, there are some really great value-added benefits. Maybe it's not the smart home, but maybe it's my Google Maps feature. And maybe it's the fact that I can easily get whatever I need from Amazon within a day or so. Trust to me is about responsibility. It's about making sure that I am using your data in a way that wouldn't be outside of the expectations of how you would assume I'm using that data that I'm not going to screw you over with that data, that I'm going to keep your data secure. Maybe that's part of the reason that at this moment we trust companies like Amazon and Google right now. Amazon and Google haven't had any major breaches. The government has had several breaches. The, uh, what was it, the OEP, am I saying it right, the OEPM hack, um, where a lot of uh, governmental employees, their data was, was breached. There was the IRS hack. I, I think part of that trust factor is factoring in the security aspect of it as well. So it's making sure that the data is protected and making sure that I'm using the data responsibly. Thank you very much, Heather. And Heather, I appreciate your, your uh, tweet a couple of minutes ago saying you were thrilled to be on the program. We're thrilled to have you. So thank you for that. I, I do check these. I appreciate it. Let's move on. Uh, because of time, I want to make sure we squeeze in one more comment here. So, John, thank you for that really good conversation starter. And I'm going to move on to something in Chris's list. Chris, I'm looking at your statement number three. This is news to me, but I shouldn't be surprised. You say there is an entire industry keeping track of your secret customer score. These scores are what's behind return policies and other profiles that retailers and other organizations are keeping track of on us. Chris, I'm a little scared here, but I shouldn't be surprised. So, Chris, what is this all about? Well, uh, so there's a great article in the New York Times about this topic. Um, You know, however, uh, in organizations, large retailers and others, you know, they want to deliver the best services to their best customers. So if you're an elite customer and you are spending a lot on their service and you have some kind of issue, you want to make a return, uh, you know, the customers, um, the, the, the organization wants to do the right thing. So they subscribe to services that keep track of 
of mm. buying patterns of consumers, and they cross-correlate all kinds of, uh, of, of information, like your, you know, your Airbnb text messages, you know, how many times you, you, you um, how long it takes you to navigate a particular website, how long you're willing to, to wait on hold, you know, wow. things like that to try to deliver it to you the best service. So, so um, and there's ways, there's, um, you know, specialty companies that kind of, you know, track this information on behalf of a number of large retailers and, you know, travel companies and everything. And you can get, you can get uh, this data. Um, and uh, the way to do it is to, I would say search on this article, um, how to get access to your secret yes. customer uh, score on the New York Times. And there's a list of companies there. You can look at their privacy profiles and you can exercise your rights. I mean, that's what we're, one of the major changes is that with privacy regulations, now the rights of the data go from, you know, the organization that maybe collected that data without your knowledge to now consumers have the rights over it. So they can determine what to do with it. And that's great for consumers, but it's scary for organizations. Chris, thank you. I found it. It's November 4th, 2019. It was updated the next day. It's by Kashmir Hill, K-A-S-H-M-I-R. The title is, I got access to my secret consumer score. Now, you can get yours, too. And the first paragraph is, as consumers, we all have secret scores, hidden ratings that determine how long each of us wastes on hold when calling a business, whether we can return items at a store, and what type of service we receive. A low score sends you to the back of the queue. High scores get you elite treatment. Every so often, journalists lament these systems' inaccessibility. They're largely invisible to the public, the New York Times wrote. Back in 2012, Chris, most people have no inkling they even exist, the Wall Street Journal said in 2018. And the journal's Christopher Mims looks at a company called SIFT. Ooh, did you know about this, Chris? Whose proprietary scoring system tracks 16,000 factors for companies like Airbnb and OkCupid. SIFT judges whether or not you can be, you can be trusted, yet there's no file with your name that it can produce upon request, but they have a file on you. This reporter actually got his and found it shocking. It was 400 pages long. Chris, I'm, I'm actually quaking here. Chris, how did you find yeah, out about um, this? You just read a lot? Well, the New York Times, the New York Times um, uh, has been publishing a series of articles on privacy. And if you, if you go and you, uh, if you, find any of those articles, you'll see the links to uh, that, that particular series. And I would, I would encourage anyone to go out and read it. It's uh, extremely, it's riveting and uh, disturbing all at the same time. So um, thank you. I would, I would definitely encourage you to research that. Have- Thank you. I want to squeeze in. Oh, we're, we're actually at our predictions round, but you know what? Instead of predictions, let's get a reaction to this quickly. Heather, 30 seconds. What do you think? Chris's point is spot on, and and I think part of the main issue here is the lack of transparency around these sort of companies, is that consumers don't know about this, and yet they're being judged for this data that they can't even even attest to, that they can't even rectify. So I I think if I'm going to tie it also into predictions, is that one commonality we're seeing in a lot of these regulations is the ability for consumers to find out the data that's out there about them, not just from the companies they're directly interacting with, but indirectly interacting with, and be able to have more ownership of the data that's out there about them, because that's what people are really starting to care about, controlling their data, controlling their digital lives. 
That's what we're worried about. Thank you very much, Heather, and I appreciate your squeezing in the prediction there. John Livingood, I've got uh, 60 seconds for you. What do you see coming up or down the pike, and what's your reaction to secret customer score? Go ahead, secret consumer score. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 I fully agree with Chris's comments, and and uh, it's it you know it's not surprising at all. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I it's, it's it's interesting because as we continue to see organizations, uh, you know, be able to allow their consumers to request access to the data and 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 control data. Uh, even with you know here in California with with the laws such as CCPA coming out, the, the shift is is still happening, right? And and as you look at and as you look at the uh, 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 organizations that that perhaps aren't in compliance, we've yet to see you know really uh, uh, the penalty as a result of companies not being compliant, and so it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, when, when, when that gets laid down, uh, you know, my prediction is that there's going to be an even bigger rush of companies trying to comply with these data protection laws than there is today because companies are certainly doing it today. Um, but, but I, you know, my prediction is that there will be a, a bigger surge uh, towards compliance um, for all the reasons that we've discussed on, on, on this podcast. I will also throw in an additional... A prediction that that in 50 years' time, uh, be it there will you know data protection will need to be part of the equation and most certainly will be, and is extremely important to be. Um, I will I do think that in 50 years' time, you know people will look back and and you know ask what the what was such the big deal of having more targeted advertisement. That's my prediction. Thank you. Chris Redkowski, I've got 20 seconds for you. Give me a quick prediction, then we got to close. Thank you. Go ahead. I think, I think the economic forces behind data are, are such that will create challenges um, going forward. It's, it's, just the, it's just a force of nature. And I think that, um, you know, despite our efforts, there's still going to be challenges going forward. In, in 50 years, I don't know how computing will be different, but um, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we won't have computers at all. It'll everything will just be integrated in our bodies, and global warming will not exist anymore. We'll have to solve that problem. So, I look forward to that. Thank you. Me too. I want to thank all of you, and I have a special shout out to Cindy Morell at SAP and John Mayer. Cindy did a lot of work putting this panel together and helping to shepherd this episode. I appreciate that. Shout out again to Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, and Diana Heim uh, for sponsoring the series, and a shout out to Aaron, my engineer with the nerves of steel at the Business Channel at Voice America and World Talk Radio. Thank you so much to my panelists. I'll mention your name in a second. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Heather Fetterman at Big ID, just like John Livingood at ProTivity, and just like Chris Radkowski at SAP. Tune in tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel for my new series, Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, talking about password, privacy, and security. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.